Hello and welcome to another edition of Hockey the Podcast. It's a new name, but it's the same old fantastic hockey talk that you've come to know and love with your beloved host, me, Derek Alberts. And the the real man that you're after is my co-host, Tyron Barnard. He's on the other side of the line as uh, we continue to do uh, the podcasts during lockdown. So yeah, we're going to keep our social distance uh, apart. But uh, otherwise, we keep on loving what we do. Uh, And uh, it's a milestone show tonight, but uh, I'll let Tyron explain it uh, a little later. Tyron, welcome back. Yeah, Derek, always good to chat hockey and uh, uh, to have been doing it for just over a year now in in terms of the podcast has been really cool. Of course, uh, you and I also were fortunate enough to do, uh, we could almost call it a live podcast when we... uh, did the spa indoor series so it's been a pretty cool adventure and, and obviously the stories that we hear just keep getting better and better and and i think tonight uh, or today whenever you're listening to this is going to be no different yeah that certainly is the case and i mean it, it started off as a massive passion well it's always been your passion and profession to an extent hockey and, and you, you you came and approached me said uh, would i like to get involved i said yeah without question and and it really has um opened my eyes to this magnificent sport and as you say the guests that we've have on, had on board um i mean otherwise uh, a lot of people would not have gotten to know them as well as they have done through listening to this podcast which uh is a nice uh, feather in your cap so kudos to you for making this happen but uh yeah tonight we've got a very special guest but uh certain number makes it even more special yes yeah, so tonight is the 38th episode of hockey the podcast uh you know, since we started it, but uh, tonight's guest is our fiftieth different hockey person featured wow. on the podcast, which is really fantastic stuff. And you know, it just shows you how many great people there are because we're only on the tip of the iceberg, really. Yeah. So, guest number fifty. It's uh, amazing maths, Tyron. I mean, you are CA by profession, so hardly surprising that you'd have gone to uh, that number fairly quickly. But uh, tell us more. Who is this uh, mystery person? So tonight's uh, tonight's guest, and I say tonight because we're recording at night, obviously, um, is the man behind the SA Hockey Legends Instagram account, who are doing some wonderful stuff, telling the story of of the guys who who are real, as the word says, hockey legends, um, people that featured for the country in so many years, and of course, he himself is a hockey legend, uh, but uh, hasn't managed to interview himself on the. Uh, on the Instagram live feed just yet. Uh, tonight it is none other than Ian One Evans. How are you doing, Ian? How's it, guys? Thank you so much for having me. What a what an honor. Yeah, Ian, and and uh, you know what a what a cool hockey career you've had because uh, you know in here on Hockey the Podcast we're both massive indoor hockey fans as well as outdoor hockey fans, and and you managed to represent your country in both of them and play in arguably the biggest tournaments of both of them. So a really cool history you've got with South African hockey. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Um, I still still love my hockey, still very involved, still playing um, as much as I possibly can, uh, both indoor and outdoor. Um, it's a little slower, you know, when you start to approach uh, midlife. Uh, I'm 38 now, but we still I still play in the in the Natal uh, league, uh, albeit the first division, with uh, a bunch of legends um, in our Rovers team. So we kind of play a, 
bit of a mentoring role in the in, in the league that we play in. So one below Prem, um, but still get to run around every week um, and uh, have a few beers with the guys and just play some really, really good hockey, both on the Astro and on the indoor court. So still very much involved and uh, still love my hockey, still uh, enjoy playing good hockey and most importantly, sharing the, the camaraderie of my teammates. That That is pretty much the reason most of us, if not all of us, uh, enjoy this wonderful game. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I never had the talent that you had uh, to play at the highest level, but uh, the reason I played as as much as I did, even uh, through some ankle and knee injuries in my, my younger life before um, I hung up the stick because of knee problems, is um, is exactly that. It's the camaraderie. It's the, the beers afterwards. It's the, the, the storytelling in the bar and... Uh, it's almost great that you, you're able to do that with your club. Um, you're able to do that on a, on a hockey field, but you're also now able to do that through your Instagram feed. So let's head along into that direction. What, what was the, the design behind starting up the SA Hockey Legends account? Um, I think it was really just to try and get in touch with uh, some of the old, old guys and girls again. You know, um, Back in the day when I was playing... Uh, hockey for South Africa um, around about the, the 2000s the internet was it was pretty new in fact uh, it was almost pre-Facebook and definitely pre-Instagram and all those kind of things um, and a lot of the hockey matches that we play the test matches they were never documented um, in terms of like I think I think they put the Olympics on super sport but we never had journalists kind of follow us around or write our stories or do anything so the only the only records that we have are, are each other's memories and and the conversations that when we get together say at like an IPT and we have a springbok dinner or you go to masters and you, you're having a few cold ones after you've, you've played against uh, you know guys from other provinces that you've been on international tours um, that's the only time that you really get to to relive those memories because they don't exist in any other forum um, and something that, that my book Sevens and I have always wanted to do um, was write a book about probably not the on-the-field stuff as much as the off-the-field stuff. I mean, uh, for hockey players like us, uh, you know, we've, we've come from a hockey family, and I think most of a lot of hockey people come from hockey families. They grew up on the side of, of the field while their mom and dad played hockey, and they, you know, we, all, we used to play mini in the morning, and the folks used to play in the afternoon, and we used to hang around old Johnnies or old Eds or Oblates or whatever the club was. Um, so there's this rich kind of legacy, but it's just not documented. And I think when I look at my dad and my mom, who both were amazing, excellent indoor and outdoor hockey players, um, I've, I've heard those stories from them. And it was kind of just Sevens and I wanting to document, you know, what our folks used to get up to back in the day, because they, they used to go to SAU and have InterVarsity and and go to IPT and they, they do all the things that we used to do. It was just a different, a different era and they did it in a different style. But like the ethos was the same. You go, you play your best, you make great friendships, you have great parties, you go on tour um, all over the world, even, even back then in like the, the late 60s and the 70s. So for me, it was like, if we don't document these stories, they're going to disappear. Like there's no, there's no record of, of this on the internet before. Uh, like there's probably a couple photo albums and I mean by photo albums I mean like Polaroid or celluloid photos in an actual photo album on a bookshelf somewhere 
Um, and those are the only records we have. So I thought, flip, we're, we're in lockdown. Um, kind of everybody's got a bit of extra time on their hands. Let me see if I can connect with some of the guys. And, you know, pretty much everybody that I, that I asked to be involved was super, super keen and super excited to, to just chat, really, and just ha have conversations like the one we're having right now except uh, what I wanted to do with, with the kind of Instagram live thing was, was get everybody else on, in the world that, that wanted to be involved in those conversations to, to be able to hear them um, as they happen. So that's really in a nutshell, you know, what it's about. And, and so, you know, it's only been going for a week and um, I don't know how long it'll go or we'll just take it day by day and interview by interview. But uh, so far it's been, it's been pretty nostalgic for me, pretty emotional but most importantly, connecting with guys and girls that I played with and, and been, went to Varsity with and went on tours with. But um, yeah, I've re really, really missed them. And this, this forum has allowed us to connect and to, for me to connect with everybody else in those, in those kind of networks, which has been a super special thing to kind of stumble onto. It's a magnificent endeavor. And in some respects, it, it almost mirrors what, what Tyron wanted to do with the hockey community, being able to, to tell the stories are on a bigger platform and uh, yeah, it's amazing what you're doing and you say you don't know how long it will carry on for. I can tell you um, hand and heart. I mean, when, when Tyron came to me with the idea for the podcast, for instance, um, we said, well, we must just make sure it, it, it becomes a success and we must just carry on pushing it. And, and I can only urge you to do the same because from what I've seen so far, it's been fantastic. And you say that all the guys or, or the people that you have uh, managed to get hold of, uh, they've been very receptive. And, and why wouldn't they? Because it's another platform for them to tell their stories. And, and also, they are great stories. So, yeah, I mean, geez, keep fighting the good fight and, and continue doing it. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I, it's uh, it's taking up a lot more time than I thought it would. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, we completely you know, understand. And and you know what? It started out just going to be a, it was just going to be a chat, like completely off the cuff. And but what I realized is that um, actually people they really want the details, you know. Um, mm. And I went to I went to university and studied journalism, so I'm aware that when you're when you're telling a good story, you don't want to you don't want to just tell it. You want to actually show what it was like. You, people want the details. They want the little, the little nuggets that make it real and meaningful. And especially people who were there on that particular tour or remember the particular incident, you know, those, those tiny details are, are significant. So, you know, I didn't want to go out and, and just go, Oh, like, remember that we had this great time. Um, you want to kind of unpack why it was a great time, why it was significant, why it was special. Some of it's irre irreverent, but a lot of it is, is um, you know it, it builds kind of the fabric of what being a springbok or a protea was like uh, in the various eras, you know. Um, and without those kind of details, um, maybe modern hockey players of today um, who are in the national team or the provincial senior teams, or even if they're just juniors playing PSI, or whatever, like they they have no clue unless you tell it to them. So I think those details are important. So. I've been re doing a bit of research. I've been, you know, reaching out to quite a lot of the, the, the ex-players and coaches and saying, hey, guys, do you remember this tour? Do you remember this detail? Where were we exactly on, uh, on that time? And uh, like I say, it, a lot of it's pre-internet, so you can't just Google the answer. You kind of have to um, phone around and get a couple of uh, triangulations of people's memories and opinions. Um, 
but you know one of the things that I keep saying in these in these uh, little Instagram live interviews is never let the truth get in the way of a good story you know because <laughs> uh, everybody remembers it slightly differently yeah, yeah we, we abide by that completely uh, embellish 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 because uh, no one's going to ask questions afterwards they're just going to be uh, laughing at the stories and um, I mean you said it's only been about a week or so now I, I can bet you that uh, in a year's time when we chat to you, you're going to say you're going to still be doing this but um, which one I know it's hard to pick now, but uh, which one stands out for you as the most enjoyable, uh, having brought back uh, the fondest memories? Jeez, no, the, I can't pick one. Hey, all of them, all of them have been really special. I mean, there was Clarky um, first up, and that was really like we were we were both very new to kind of figuring out Instagram, um, mm. giving away our age and that. But like, uh, you know, it's it's different, and it was it was a little bit nerve wracking. But just to connect again with Clarky and to to chat about the tours we, we were on and what it was like for me as a youngster looking up to him pretty much my whole uh, youth and then you know going on tour with him and being his roommate on one of the tours go, going to the Olympic qualifiers with him and uh, playing right next to him for every single test match that I ever played uh, that was pretty special you know um, it really is and those memories will always be special to to both of us and. I think the the one quote that I remember from that interview particularly was um, because he played left midfield and I played left half. Um, you know, Clarky had such amazing skill and he had such pace and he could read the game so beautifully um, that pretty much my role was just to get Clarky the ball in space as quick as I could and let him be as creative as possible. And, you know, in, in, on the few occasions when he would, try something, uh, if he pulled it off, we would score or get a circle entry. If he didn't, I would have a lot of tackling to do behind him. Um, but that was, that was a risk that we were, as a, as a team, were willing to take, you know. And it was great to get that affirmation, even though it's been 15 years later, you know, to hear a legend like Clarkie say, like, Flip, I'm so glad I had you behind me because you could tackle the hell out of anything. Um, it's still good to hear. <laughs> so I think uh, out of the Clarkie interview, for me personally, that kind of validation was super special. Um, the next one with Twashi was was amazing just because I still play with Twashi. He lives just around the corner from me. Um, we play in the Rovers team together, the Natal Masters team together, uh, indoor, outdoor. We see each other a lot and we're really good mates. Um, so to be able to kind of drill him and grill him on a, on a public platform was, uh, was pretty fun. Um, and also because I know him so well and I know the, the ins and outs of those stories, I can you know, navigate the the kind of dialogue quite quite cleverly to to tease out the fun things and the in jokes that guys and girls who are on the tours will will get, but also to be able to have some serious conversations around, you know, what what, what we need to do as hockey players to get better, to improve the technical skills, his elimination skills from the top of you know, the top of the D to the goals is second to to none uh, in the history of of our sport, you know. So and even to this day, like you get Toshi the ball in a Masters game or a, or a Div 1 game, anywhere near the top of the circle, and there's not a defender who's going to touch him, um, which is still masterful to watch week in and week out. Um, and then Marsha, um, we went to university together, and she's just such an amazing person, like so much fun, so accomplished, uh, a, an amazing philanthropist, um, and I remember her like that, but you know, the last time that I saw Marsha in person was, was literally, uh, the Athens Olympics in 2000 
2004, so 16 years ago. Um, but flipping on the live feed, it was it was like I had chatted to her yesterday. You know, it was literally nothing in our friendship has changed, um, which is so special and just yeah, really amazing to be able to connect with somebody and pick it up and and go straight off the bat again. You know, and, and share the same jokes or or be able to ask intimate questions that maybe you wouldn't be able to if you were into interviewing somebody who's an accomplished, amazing sportsman um, or sportswoman, but you, you don't know them well enough to ask those kind of questions. So, yeah, I think just to connect with Marshy was was super special for me. So you mentioned up front uh, the interview with Greg Clark. Uh, let's quickly have a, a little taste of uh, what the listeners can can expect uh, to hear when uh, when they dive into uh, SA Hockey Legends. <laughs> um, yeah, so so those types of things are you know Gav didn't didn't really uh, know how to build players up and get the best out of them. He certainly knew how to test them, but uh, yeah, I think he needed a different uh, side to his coaching as well. And um, and then straight after that, obviously Giles took over the reins, and um, you know I never played under Giles, but I, I remember I remember going to or just listening to to the guys in the pump house talking about, you know, the things that he was trying to do. And, and, uh, and yeah. I was unfortunately on the end of a few of those, uh, those tech games where he was coaching tech against us and we were at Durban Varsity and we didn't know what the hell was going, going on because, you know, Giles was so astute and he was, he was so dynamic with his tactics that it was yeah. like uh, you're entering the fray and you just, we'd never seen anything like it. So, um, and what was that like, Clarky? How did that uh, develop you as a, as a player? Yeah, so I mean, I was fortunate because I'd, I'd already experienced Giles as a Natal captain. Um, you know, back in the day, Tech used to play Pine Town for the league. We used to compete against them. So I competed against Giles a lot in the league and then sort of played with him uh, for Natal. He was the skipper of those teams, those early teams. Um, very, uh, I mean, a great man manager, very motivational guy. Always knew how to get the best out of every all his players and, and everyone in the team. Uh, and then... Yeah, when he became the coach of South Africa, yeah, I mean, really a breath of fresh air, completely different to what we had been experiencing under Featherstone. You know, just uh, Charles is about sort of building people up and and sort of making you feel like you can run through a brick wall and and all those types of things. Um, and and so that was a really uh, big breath of fresh air. Uh, we also had, you know, sorry, I'm going to interrupt it there. I, I tell you what else is a, a breath of fresh air is being able to hear players being so honest and forthright about the experiences. So that was just a small taste of what listeners can experience over at SA Hockey Legends. And it puts you in a, in a unique and incredible position, Ian, because, I mean, you, in, in essence, you're doing uh, something very similar to what Tyron and I are doing, yet you've got tremendous insights having been there and done that. I mean, it's something that, that, that we can never get. And, I mean... Geez, I landed in a perfect position. Although that being said, I, I can imagine that the interview is probably full of revelations like that. But I mean, immediately where I got in, there's the admittance that uh, Gavin Featherston, uh, he wasn't uh, all he he was uh, <laughs> rated to be. Yeah, I think uh, I remember. I remember I was at uh, Maritzburg College at the time, and and there was a training camp at the AB Jackson Astro, um, and I remember. Uh, you could see on the pitch that like, there was a kind of dissonance between certain playing groups and the, and the coaching staff. And, and, and that was from us as like, we were basically ball boys helping to, 
you know, collect balls and, and knock them back to where they needed to be. And, you know, we were just stoked to be on the side of the field watching the Olympic squad kind of uh, training and getting ready. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting because I think when, you, when you're that close to it, you can, you can pick it up. But um, you don't want to say anything. You know, you're, you're a little schoolboy and you can, you can see the, the dynamics, but you don't want to ask. So I think, you know, now, all these years later, it's a burning question I've always been wanting to ask, uh, wanting to ask Clarkie and go like, you know, what, what was that like? Cause it looked like it looked really gnarly at the time. So, so uh, and obviously we heard, we heard stories from the guys who were playing, um, well, not just under, under, under him, but under various leadership, you know, you, there's, there's always going to be uh, a dynamic between the relationship of the coaching and the management group and the, the senior leadership in any team and the, the, the stalwarts and the newcomers and, 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 you know, every single team has that at every single level, but at the very highest level, when the pressure is that much more concentrated and the stakes are so much higher, whether it's a Olympic qualification or world cup qualification or, uh, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, those kind of, uh, true colors come out under pressure. And I think that's the difference between teams that, that do really well and teams that, that struggle when the pressure's on. I must say, uh, I uh, I was uh, not as much of an avid follower as hockey um, back when Gavin was uh, head coach. I was uh, still at school, and uh, you know my my schooling was uh, um, n- not high profile in terms of hockey. Aiken tournament was our high profile thing, and it was later on that, that developed. But I actually got to meet Gavin Featherstone for the first time at the FAH World League semi-final in Johannesburg. He found out that I write for SA Hockey and uh, proceeded to basically read three chapters of his book to me during a game, asking me to buy his book. Um, and I promise you, halfway through this two-hour interaction, I finally managed to see what his name was on the book cover because I had no idea. He hadn't introduced himself. He just said, Tyron, come, we need to tell you something. I was like, oh, crap, is this someone I know? Um, so yeah, it was really great hearing you and uh, and Clarkie talk about that and go through the coaches because Clarkie did and um, obviously became a national coach himself. But there was another interesting question that I enjoyed from that chat, and that was when you were asking Clarkie about the shirt number that he wore. Uh, obviously, he was the number seven, uh, currently worn by Tim Drummond. What about yourself, Ian? What what was your number, and is there any specific story to it? Yeah, there is. I mean, uh, I always wanted to be number seven because Clarkie was number seven. Um, and when I made the national team, um, I couldn't get seven because he had it. So I took the next closest number, which was eight. And eight became my number for my whole career. But if I ever had a chance um, playing for Natal, if I was the senior player or uh, an SA under 21 when we went to the Junior World Cup in Hobart, um, I always played in number seven because Clarkie was my role model. And I wanted to be just like him. And that was it. So I would always pick seven. And if not seven, then I would always pick eight. And the irony is that my brother, Sevens, also wanted seven. <laughs> so if we ever played in the same team, um, you know, there would always be this competition. But then, but Sevens also, he, he's also quite a different cat. So he had a very cool style about him as a young hockey player. He always had these like radical haircuts and he wore earrings and you know, he, him and I are into alternative music. So we were always like a little bit fringe in our, in our lifestyle. And 
loved surfing and kind of, you know, those kind of alternative things. And Seven's decided that if he couldn't have seven, he was going to have uh, unlucky number 13 because that's just the kind of cool cat that he is. So he ended up being 13. Um, and the only other number that we shared was when uh, I went over to Australia and played in the Classic League for, for Wesley and South Perth um, under Lee Bottomied and China Davies, uh, two amazing Australian legends. Um, they gave me 23 and Sevens went over the season after and he played in 23 for Wasps as well before he moved to Hale. So that's the only other kind of special number. So for me, it's always been 7, 23. And for Sevens, it's been 7, 13, 23. And obviously you bring up your brother Sevens. Uh, now I have had quite a few interactions with him. Um, what was it like? I mean, you went to two Indoor World Cups with him in your team. Um, and I just double-checked that. You also went to the Olympic Games with him in your team. I mean, was there was there a healthy competition? Was it you guys were great mates? Um, you know, what, what was that dynamic like? Yeah, it was a fantastic dynamic. Um, Sevens was probably the greatest older brother that you could ever want as a hockey player. Like, the dude has crazy skills, and he just has the most incredible hockey brain. And, and I think that I don't know that there's anybody else who who is a smart at hockey in this country or that I've ever met or that I ever will meet. I think if you guys cast your minds back to what he did with Pens winning IPT in Durban, um, like that guy is the cleverest hockey brain in the world. Uh, so, you know, growing up with a dude like that, he was always just helping me to just be smarter about my hockey and, you know, skills is one thing. And I, I'm not a particularly skillful hockey player. I'm not a particularly quick hockey player. I'm not a very good, I don't know. I don't really have any special skills, but the, the thing that I have, the, the reason why national coaches picked me is because I was smart. I could make good decisions. I was very composed and I had good basics. That's it. There's no flashy skills. There's no, crazy goal scoring or, or anything really, all of that kind of stuff, you know, uh, is secondary. But Sevens taught me that if you make good decisions and you can make better decisions than your opposition and you can help your teammates around you to make good decisions, then your team will do well and you'll be valuable to your team and you'll get picked. And that's really what he taught me. Um, so, you know, to have him on tour with me um, and to, to have played provincial hockey with him, to have played in the national team with him, every single outdoor test match that I played, I played with him, uh, was amazing. To be able to go to the Olympic Games and have our family come over, uh, to go to the World Cup, the first one ever in Leipzig where he was in that team, my dad came over, it's kind of like an assistant coach to Lenny Botha. Um, it was just, yeah, it was, it was just the most incredible thing. And I still, I still look up to him. I still idolize him. I think Sevens is, yeah, I just think he's a phenomenal human and incredible skills. Like, with, I, I don't know how he didn't get picked for more tours because he was in and out of the side over a period of about 10 years when he should have been, he should have played like 200 tests. And I think he ended up on 99 at the end of it. Yeah, it's it's um, an amazing thing. We've chatted to some other guys on the on the podcast over the the 
the year and a bit that we've done it that have siblings in sport. We spoke to the Cormac sisters. We spoke to uh, John T. Robinson, who's played alongside his brother. And the overarching um, theme that seems to come through from all these guys, and, and it's one you continuing, is um, is almost a, a, a complete, well, obviously a complete respect for one another, but uh, a, a very much a lack of competition with one another and rather support for one another. Yeah, I think, you know, all the, all the competitive stuff happened in the back garden like believe me there was no love lost there um and every single pair of brothers or every single pair of sisters you'll find like those those backyard competitions were as fierce as any test match but when you when you don the green and gold or the black and whites in our case uh for natal you you do everything to help your teammates to win and particularly i think because you know like myself and sevens when we get on a field and you know we played recently as as last year in a little invitation game uh we play for the what used to be called the mike madsen 11 which is now the queensmead 11 and he he comes up from cape town and plays a few games there when i play with him on the field so like i know what he's going to do before he does it uh and i roll the ball there so he's not picking up the ball marked or uh, even he doesn't even expect it to come to him he knows i'm going to run space i know he's going to run into that space I put it there as hard as I can, and he's already run, running onto it, body shaping to go one way, sending a defender one way, picking the ball up and, and just burning, you know? And that kind of stuff uh, makes me super happy. Um, and those are the kind of connections that I think um, I was alluding to when I was talking about like the, the Greg Nickel, Greg Clark, Mike Cullen, Steve Evans, uh, Raiders, glory days. Like those, those the Jubber Ranks, those kind of, the three-on-threes that we used to go down to Queensmead and train, um, it's that kind of stuff. It's the intuition um, that players and the connections that players have with their teammates around them that make great teams. And, you know, it's something that I don't see a lot of uh, in the current national group. And the thing that has disappointed me as a spectator of PHL the most has been how individual those games are in in terms of the contribution of the players towards the the goal, if it's uh, yeah, it, it feels like they, the players just don't. Maybe it's because they come from all different areas. Maybe it's because they're marquee players and they want to maintain that kind of status or whatever it is. And I know this sounds super critical, but my opinion has always been that you can only win a hockey game if you if you play as a team and you and you and you better as a unit than the guys you're playing against. You have better connections. You have better combinations. You have better intuition. You're doing things so that you're playing into space instead of playing to your players who are marked. Uh, those are the kind of things that are the difference between a good team and an exceptional team. Ian, you know, looking back, uh, I mean, with hosting the SA Legends on Instagram, you've been trying to extract uh, the greatest of tales from your interview subjects. And I mean, that's exactly what we're trying to do with you. And, and looking back in the past, I mean, I know you would have told us some already, your memories of sevens, for, for example. But um, if you had to, we had to put you on the spot. And, and to say, you don't really know what it's like to be an international sportsman until you've managed to experience moments like these. And, and give us a taste of a moment or two that, that, that if you were interviewing someone and they told you the story, you'd be blown away. So uh, I think the, the biggest moment for me in 
my hockey career, the one that's when I think about, it, I still get goosebumps, uh, was running onto the field in Athens. It was eight o'clock in the morning. We're playing against Argentina. Um, it was the first pool game. There was everything on the line. Like we needed three points to get out of the blocks. And the build-up to that Olympics had been so tumultuous. Like it was, we had we had failed to qualify in Abuja and lost against Egypt. We had then gone to a repercharge tour in Madrid, which we had beaten Belgium with like five seconds to go on the clock to force a penalty shootout. All the drama, there was no money, all the, the training, the everything that we went through to finally be at the Olympics running onto the field. It was so hot. When I say like you could hardly breathe, it was so hot and it was eight o'clock in the morning. So they played at eight and at 10 and then they stopped for the middle of the day because it was just too hot to do anything. Um, Summer Olympics. So, and in Athens. So you must imagine it was like, it was crazy through the warm up, and, and Revs used to make us do really, really high tempo warm ups so that we would, when the whistle went, it was though you had already played a half of hockey. We like, I was, I was blown. I was like, geez, the adrenaline's running, but like, we had ice packs on, we were trying to drink water. You like, you're shaking. You're, you're, you can hardly hold your stick because your hands are just going out of control uh, because of the noise of the crowd and the, like, the realization of where you are and what you're about to do. And it was, it was so exhilarating, but it was so terrifying. And I remember Craig Jackson, our captain, just getting us all into a huddle just before the whistle. And, the, and the, there was like this nervous kind of, silence but he was like guys look at look up look at look at each other look in the eyes and don't be scared like this is this is everything that you've ever trained for this is the moment it starts now uh and olympic games is something that no one will ever be able to take away from you and it doesn't matter what happens here um where we have done amazing just to be on this field and and having the chance and the privilege to to play against Argentina in this game. Now let's go out there and freaking pump these oaks. And we ended up getting a result there. We won 2-1, but it was so radical. Like one of the best counter-attacking teams at that Olympics. Um, one of the most quickest uh, group of five forwards that you would ever ask to play against. And a drag flicker who was just, I remember one that hit the crossbar that Stanny didn't even see. And I was running third wave. This thing hit the crossbar above my head behind me. And I, I wasn't even past the P spot. Uh, and it just <laughs> rocketed the whole goal off the line. Like that's how hard the soak was flicking. Um, so yeah, I think like that's, that, that for me was that victory at the Olympics over Argentina, I think was, uh, and, and it, it was over so quickly, you know, it was like, you just, your adrenaline was pumping so hard and you were concentrating so much and communicating with the guys on the field and calling the lines. And, uh, you know, it was before we knew it, we, we were in the dugouts and it was half time. And then it was like, we're back on the field and, and then the game was over, you know, <laughs> it went by in a blink, but it was at the same time. And there's, there's a real dichotomy there where the moments are almost slow motion moments as well. Like the, the ones that you can remember like the tackles that you make or the, uh, the pass that was a defense splitting pass or the defending the short corner or all those kind of things, you know? So I think, I think that for me was, 
was the most special moment. Yeah, and then let's ask you to to spill the beans a little bit. Let's have one story from a, a, a tale from tour that has nothing to do with uh, on the field that you can share without embarrassing any person too much. Okay, I'll tell you a good one. I remember it was the first Indoor World Cup um, <laughs> uh, in Leipzig, and they had an opening function in an old underground bunker from the war that had turned into a bar and a nightclub. So all the teams um, go and get, kind of gather there. That's a little bit awkward, and I think the I think the opening ceremony was the next morning, and the first round of the of the Indoor World Cup started the next morning, but. What was interesting in, in that time, in 2003, is that, uh, you know, all of us were there as amateurs. Like, I don't think there were any paid professional hockey players that I can think of, you know, that were earning huge bucks or whatever. So the guys and girls, and that was the other really great thing, is that it was the girls were playing the tournament um, at the same time that we were in the same venue. So we got to watch our girls play. They got to watch us play. We got to watch all the girls and all the guys' games. Um, and that's what I love about indoors. It's just it's so compact and everybody's right there. Um, so we went to this opening ceremony and it was all like a little bit awkward in the beginning and, um, you know, the, a couple of speeches and whatever. And then they were like, okay, guys, open bar, have a jaw, and we'll see you at the indoor court tomorrow morning. So we thought this was, you know, absolutely swell. So we, uh, you know, I proceeded to go and I was the, the, the youngster in the team. I proceeded to go to the bar and, and try and get a round of drinks for the for the lads and the girls and who were busy, you know, dancing back in the, in the middle of the nightclub. And I got stuck between two of the largest Russians that you've ever seen in your life. And uh, <laughs> the one guy like grabbed me, got me in a headlock and pulled me towards the bar. His mate started pouring like those, those frosted shooter glasses that are very thin and very high. And um, I don't know, like I don't speak Russian and they don't speak English, but we had a pretty good conversation. And I ended up about half an hour later going back to see my mates and I didn't have a drink in my hand and I wasn't walking very straight. The next day I had to, you know, get up and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and off you go. And, uh, but it was pretty cool because when we got to the field the next day, um, everybody was like super chilled, really happy, got on the court and played amazing indoor. So yeah, just uh, if you ever get stuck in an underground bunker with some Russians, just beware of the vodka because it's going to come. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Jeez, <laughs> um, man, it's it's been absolutely fantastic chatting to you. And, and uh, I, I think, Tyron, are we heading to that dreaded territory? Of course we are. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the show, Ian, but uh, at the end of it, we've got the dreaded one-question quiz which uh, we ask you one question and you've got to try and get it right. Uh, don't worry, if you don't, then you'll be in a very big company, an esteemed company too. Uh, okay, British and Irish Lions uh, took on the Springboks uh, back in 1997. The Cape Town Test, they won 25-16. Had a, a pretty interesting backline. A lot of Welshmen in the backline, including uh, Scott Gibbs, who was the centre, and they had Neil Jenkins at fullback. And who was out, Who was the player out at right wing? Yian Evans. <laughs> yes, well done. <laughs> All right, hit the nail on the head. Uh, a similar sounding name to yours, uh, but 
But uh, yeah, there are a lot of Ian Evans out there. But uh, yeah, and Evans are closest. But yeah, congratulations, uh, getting full marks with that one. Awesome. Yeah, you know what? That was that, that was almost too easy. Dude. Yeah, it was. You're right. Uh, did you know that, Tyrant? No, no, but. Uh, <laughs> not even going to pretend. I, I knew it wasn't Tyron Barnard. <laughs> um, you, it was so funny the other night. So what we've been doing during this lockdown, and you must actually join us here, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it too. Uh, for a man who, who answers rugby questions as quick as you do, um, myself and Tyron have been hosting our friends in a lockdown quiz. So we've been doing it on Tuesday evenings where we've actually sorry, Wednesday evenings, we've opened up to, to a bunch of mates of ours. And, and it's become so popular, um, the guys, like, I mean, they're kind of falling over themselves to, to take part, that we opened it up to the public, and the public jumped on board immediately. So uh, two nights ago, we had our first one called the Trivia Titan, and we're going to have another one next uh, Tuesday, yeah, Wednesday, so Tuesday, yeah. And um, we're going to have Rassi van der Dissen on board, the Proteus cricketer. And, uh, yeah, we'll look to continue this uh, even past lockdown. But um, one of the questions Tyron asked, in fact, was regarding hockey. And uh, some of the guys didn't know. And, and I found, found the one response very funny. I don't know if you heard it, Tyron, but um, the, the one contestant, Ian, funny enough, said, I don't know too much about hockey, but I do know that uh, if you're ever trying to guess the names of players... Go for a double-barreled name and 90% chance of getting it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't apply to you, but there has been many, many double-barreled double, double surnames uh, in the past and present playing for SA. There has. There was one on our first indoor hockey World Cup tour. That was Stuart Gower-Jackson. Jeez. <laughs> what do you do when you're born with a double barrel? Uh, with the half and they give you a hockey stick. <laughs> oh man, Ian, it's been fantastic chatting to you. And uh, listen, congratulations once again on, uh, I've used this phrase before on the show, but making lemonade from lemons. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty crappy position we find ourselves in with the lockdown. But of course, uh, staying inside and staying safe is top of mind and top priority. And uh, yet you've managed to bring the hockey world from indoors, outdoors, so to speak. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And uh, thanks for having me on, on your podcast. It's been really good to chat to you guys and uh, keep up the good work. It's uh, like I said, it's uh, when I was playing, we, we, didn't have, uh, we didn't have any media folk like yourselves who were documenting what we did. So I think what you guys are doing is, is very honorable and, and very important. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you. And uh, we look forward to uh, your next chat, or it's probably going to have happened by the time we publish is uh, with the Fultons. Uh, Craig and uh, Natalie, or better known as Ned. So looking forward to that one. And uh, can you share who's up next after that? Or do you want to keep it on the down low for now? She's Tyron, I'd love to share who it is, but I have no idea. I've got, <laughs> um, I've got literally uh, dozens of requests from, from folks out there asking, please interview this person, please interview that person. So um, I would love to see you do one with uh, your brother. I think it would be quite yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I, I'd love to. I'd love to talk to Sevens uh, and and ask him the tough questions, but because I know he won't shy away from them, and you'll get some very honest answers. Uh, probably, you know, probably offend a few people. Probably uh, not be what everybody wants to hear, but uh, I think it's probably sometimes needed. You know, especially uh, in the in the in the current environment of of sports diplomacy, where everybody's a little bit too scared to say the things that are actually going to help our our guys and girls get where they need to be. 
Oh, well, I'd love to hear that. I think it has to happen and happen soon. And just quickly, once again, just remind for the listeners uh, where they can uh, catch uh, the, the, the interviews. So it's on, on Instagram, uh, on Instagram live stories, and it's SA Hockey Legends. And I'm trying to do like one every, every second day or every third day, just depending um, who's, uh, who's available and, you know, when, when the time suits. So there's no real uh, hard and fast uh, kind of schedule as such. It's just really when, whenever the, the, the folks out there are available and, and keen to have a chat. So, yeah, Nettie and Nat's on Saturday at noon. And then I think we'll maybe aim for one next week, Monday or Tuesday as well. I think I'm going to go old school, maybe like Mike Madsen, somebody oh, of that era. Love oh, it. be brilliant. We can't wait. And uh, I love the fact that guys are barging down the doors to try and get interviews. Uh, uh, unfortunately, we've got to barge down doors to get interviews for us. Uh, it's the other way around. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, well done. It's, uh, it's been fantastic to see and hear and Matt go from strength to strength. Cool. Thank you, guys. Cheers, Ian. Thanks, Ian. Cheers. Right. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, Derek. That was another great, uh, great episode. A great, uh, a great chat. And look, I'm, I'm hearing some amazing stories from the few that have come out so far. So I'm really looking forward to it. And of course, Ian himself has some wonderful stories. Yeah, he really does. Eh? It's been very, very cool to hear. And it, it's nice when you chat to someone who gets it. That's similar to to our professions. I mean, I, I know I kept on waxing lyrical about it earlier with him in that i mean we're pretty much doing very much the same things but you know him having been on both sides now understands that the art and the storytelling is in the story and uh, yeah he had plenty of stories to tell and um and he's going to get a lot more stories out of uh, the people that he'll be interviewing so yeah a, a tremendous gesture and, and yeah like like we kept on telling him maybe just a week old but i can see this certainly growing legs and uh, and yeah what a cool endeavor and, and kudos as well to the the former players and current players who who have decided to to get involved as well yeah absolutely and just so many people that love the game of hockey and just want to tell the story and you know the the hockey public wants to hear it and you know you both hit the nail on the head it's a time where we're missing sports so badly so we're definitely looking forward to any opportunity to talk about sports and and obviously be mindful that we are, are still in a situation where we need to be safe so it is making a lemonade out of lemons and then really turning it on um in a different way for for everybody at home I think, and, and it's a pity that I don't have him on the line again, but uh, I'm sure we can touch base with him. Uh, anyway, I think a, a future collaborative effort would be a fantastic endeavor uh, with uh, Hockey the Podcast joining forces with SA Hockey Legends uh, for combined effort. And uh, I reckon that's a good idea. It's uh, a sensational idea. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it happen. Ty, well done. An outstanding guest you went and found us. And uh, what an honor and yeah, I think a very, very worthy title to, to be handed over as the 50th guest of Hockey the Podcast. Yeah, raises his bat. He maybe didn't get 50 caps for SA, just fell short, but he is guest number 50, which probably means a little bit more to him. Yeah, I think so. Just Ty, thanks again. Stay indoors, stay safe. We'll catch up soon.